Welcome back to Tome of Tales. Set in the Cantus Expanse, a long-running 5th edition D&D campaign. This episode is a downtime write-up, co-written with Andy. It is called Fate's Shadow. Eliasis, 23rd to 29th, High Sun. The sun is high in the azure sky, its radiant heat bathing the enchanted forest surrounding Perihelion Palace with a warmth that can be felt down to one's very soul. The lands of eternal summer are vibrant. Music is in the air, and every manner of fae, animal, and plant are basking in the golden glow of the final days of high suntime. Merla walks down a familiar, winding, grassy path with Astra by her side and Lumina draped lazily across her shoulders. The small fairy dragon delicately chews on a candied fruit, the bag from Henry the butler mostly eaten by the tiny sugar-crazed creature. Birds and pixies and other tiny fae perch high on the branches of the large oak, pine, beech, and elm trees that the trio walk past, observing the daughter of summer. They do not come close enough to eavesdrop. In the past, some fae might have attempted to strike up a conversation with Lady Merla, but these days, they are giving her a wider berth. When I realized who it was we were fighting, what sort of connection they must have to Bane and Varys, I felt it. A shadow of wings. It wasn't as strong as when I was in Fallford, but it was there. Merla spoke softly. She looks up to Astra, an apologetic smile on her face. What you felt was that, wasn't it? Astra dips her head forward slightly, a spiraling horn on her head glowing. Her voice, instead of coming across their bond, can be heard aloud, though she is careful not to project it too loud. It was akin to that, yes. I had not realized what you meant when you described it to me the first time. Hmm... Are you sure you weren't seeing things? A lot can happen in the heat of battle. Chirps Lumina from Merlo's right side. She is delicately licking her lips, eyes glued on the bag of sweets Merla carries in her hand. Astra looks down her long face at the small creature and is about to speak, but Merla says something before she can. Even my friends are noticing something is... off about me. She confides, looking at Lumina. Arcadius tried to talk to me about it, saying I should try to convince the manager in the Four Fair Winds to give us free drinks for a month. I can be convincing, but for something like that, it would be easier to just charm the person to do my bidding. Lumina trills in agreement. Looking out at the trees, 
Merla sees the various creatures watching them as they go by. She smiles and waves, and some of them wave back to her. But the majority of them duck behind leaves and branches, pretending they didn't see her, or trying to hide from her line of sight. Her hand falls back down to her side as her brow knits together. But it's more than just when I try to talk to people. The daughter of Summer continues, a note of worry in the tone of her voice. There's something more going on. I just don't know what. I was thinking, maybe I should tell my queen mother what's happening. She will find out, sooner or later. Astra advises, her starlight eyes a bit unnerving in the way they look at her. Merla absentmindedly bites at her lip. I have noticed nothing different about you, Merla. Luminous says matter-of-factly, lifting her head up in an air of proclamation. You bring me the best treats, always compliment my beautiful scales, and help me get back at the pixies that try to steal my hoard. You have not been around her like I have. Astra objects dismissively. I have known her longer than you have. You have not fought in battles with her, like I have. I have done some of the best pranks this court has ever seen with her. You have not been there when she slew a devil. Well, I have been there when she and Master Cruxerol. Why don't you have another candied fruit, Lou? Merla interjects holding a marzipan strawberry up to the fairy dragon's face. Lumina quickly snatches it from her fingers and proceeds to greedily eat the candied fruit. The unmistakable sound of contented purring comes from the little dragon. These are pretty good for a mundane treat. Lumina admits coyly, the previous conversation forgotten to her now. I can tell you like them by the way your scales shimmer. Every time you have one. Merla teases. Astra shakes her moonstone-colored mane, her subtle way of preening as the sunlight makes it look like liquid starlight. I'll try to get some more for the next time I return home. Lumina nuzzles into Merla's neck, giving her a little lick with her tongue. <laughs> I should head back. There are a few things I must do before I meet with my queen mother. Merla offers Lumina the rest of the bag of candied fruit, and the fairy dragon happily takes them, flying from her shoulders to enjoy them in the quiet of the forest. Astra kneels down, allowing Merla to get on easier. Then the two are flying above the treetops, circling back to the palace of green and gold, the hazy heat of a summer's day pushing the shadows from the forefront of her mind for the first time in weeks. After visiting the kitchens to ask the head chef for a bundle of unique spices and herbs and a quick stop at the smithy where she retrieves a commission, Merla and Astra stand outside the closed double doors of the main hall she thinks back to the vision she had in the Shadowfell, 
how she was forced to face Queen Titania in a confrontation. Her heart flutters, but Merla takes a steadying breath, head tilting up as she raises her hand to knock on the thick oak and gold doors. Shall I come with you? Astra asks her. Merla looks up at her companion and confidant, her friend. I would do this part on my own, though I appreciate the offer, she says kindly. Astra lowers her head a little, closes her eyes, then steps back. As she lifts her hand to knock, the great doors swing open away from her, catching Merla by surprise. A group of dryads led by an Aladrin nearly walk right into her. If you would just... Oh, Lady Merla! The Aladrin bows. I almost didn't see you there. What can I do for you today? I would speak with the Queen. Ah, yes. She is expecting you. They say, bowing again with a gesture for her to go in. The group of dryads move behind the official, bowing or curtsying as they see fit, as Merla sweeps past them. She feels their gazes linger on her before the sound of the heavy doors closing signals their departure. The grand throne Queen Titania sits upon is imposing as Merla makes her way across the hall. Dotted around her, in various groups, are all manner of denizens of the Feywild. Merla is reminded of the first time she had been brought before the Summer Queen, stepping into this very hall, where she was much smaller and younger than she is now, being led by Thino. The Fey of the court do not stare at her in the same way as they did then, but, like the Dryads before, eyes do linger on her regardless. Queen Titania glances at Merla as she approaches, but continues the conversation she is having with the Lord of Centaurs, Skerit. It is not the first time Merla is struck by the beauty and grace in which the great Seelie Queen addresses those in her court. A familiar longing fills her, a desire to be the eptum of power, grace, fierceness, and bravery. All of these things and more is what Merla sees every time she looks upon the radiance of Queen Titania. I am but a shadow compared to all that she is. But maybe, one day, a soft, loving smile breaks across her face as Queen Titania concludes her discussion with the forest walker. Then she is gesturing for Merla to come forward. When she gets to the base of the dais, Merla raises her right hand, touching the imperial topaz of her circlet, then her lips, to finish with a deep curtsy, resting her fingers over her heart. There is that ripple again, but it is not as strong as the first time she bowed this way when she returned from Avernus. Skerit and his coterie of centaurs watch with inscrutable eyes. 
May summer's light bless my path, great Queen Titania. Summer's light rests upon you, Merla. The Fae in the Grand Hall start to gather, expectant. Merla knew this would be coming, as with each time she returns there is always some form of performance. Her light feet close the distance between them a hair's breadth quicker than usual, causing Titania's eyebrows to raise slightly in curious amusement. My queen, I would speak to you, just the two of us if I may. Titania looks down at Merla, a slightly bemused smile tugging at her lips. Merla feels a familiar, powerful, and warm tendril brush against her mind in a gentle caress. The Seelie Queen's expression is unreadable, but she nods her head in assent. She looks at the Fae gathered in the hall, and without a word, they all turn and quickly leave, most departing through the main double doors, but some through side doors. In no time, it is just the two of them left in the giant hall. The Queen of Summer sits back on her throne of crystal and gold, a relaxed air to her as Merla comes back around to stand in front. I am curious what it is that you ask me to dismiss my court. Queen Titania says, mild amusement laced through her words as she looks at Merla. The Fey Bard takes a deep steadying breath, then begins to tell her queen mother all about the adventures she has been on. As she regales Titania with her stories, the arch-faced demeanor slowly changes from relaxed curiosity at the supposed ascension of Egil to a focused attention at the mention of going to the temple of the Raven Queen in the Shadowfell. By the time Merla tells the great Seelie Queen about the visions she had, and what the matron of ravens had called her, Titania's tall frame is sitting forward, looking at her with an intensity that feels dangerous to stand before. She whispered to me, telling me to strike you down calling you an arrogant queen who'd keep me shackled, but I did not. I would not do anything to harm you, because I love you, Femer. Queen Titania's face is an unreadable mask, but in her eyes Merla sees a stirring of emotions. She's just not sure if it's because of what she just said, or everything else. Since I received this cloak from Arvel Morningdew, since those visions, these dark omens have only gotten stronger. I've been noticing these changes, shadows, and ravens watching me. Sometimes people even being scared of me. My magic feels darker, not as warm or full of summer. I have felt myself changing and getting stronger before, but this... This feels different. The Raven Queen must have marked me in some way, but how? What if something is happening? Merla pauses, unsure if she should give voice to the thoughts that have been on her mind since the shadow fell. But she's come this far. How could she not go all the way?
What am I to you? Am I your daughter? Or merely some passing curiosity that you show off to the Fae nobles because I can play a pretty song? Queen Titania finally shifts, sitting back on her throne of crystal and gold as she regards Merla from farther away, the feeling of heavy scrutiny subsiding. Merla, how could you ever doubt how important you are to me? Titania asks, her perfect eyebrow arched over her radiant gaze, the smile of a demigod flashing for just a moment before her face settles back into a thoughtful, concerned look, staring off into the middle distance. You have always known you were special from the moment you arrived in my court. Now it seems the pretend queen of fate has recognized that too. The summer queen glances down at her. There are always schemes afoot. I need to think. Leave me. With a sudden, somehow dismissive jolt, Merla finds herself standing in a side street in Daring Heights. This downtime write-up was called Fate's Shadow. Co-written with Andy. Set in the Cantus Expanse, a long-running 5th edition D&D campaign run by the London RPG community. Lumina was voiced by Rianne Vardelion. Queen Titania was voiced by Laura Tolton. If you wish to help support Tome of Tales, please consider buying me a coffee. You can find the link in the description. Thank you for listening. Tune in again for the next chapter in Merla's story.